Well, friends, the text of Scripture I'd like to call your attention to is Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, that's where to go. Mark 10, 28 to 31. And what a prayer, even as we look to the Word of God and seek what He has to teach us this morning. Oh, come, let us adore Jesus Christ, uh, the object of Scripture of all that God has spoken and the treasure from heaven that God has given. Uh, before we get into our text and our sermon, I do want to acknowledge and uh, uh, thank God for the, the potluck that happened last night, and especially Jeff and Lucy Presnell's hard work putting it on. Uh, a lot of you were here, and uh, Jason Kenny gave a devotional, which was very encouraging. A lot of you were here. It was a, a, an edifying time, sharing food, um, celebrating the coming of Christ, singing some uh, songs, some of the kinds of songs we're singing this morning. So um, thank you all for, and others that volunteered in all sorts of ways. So thank you for everyone who helped put that on last night. Um, so I'm going to read our text and pray for God's blessing to start our, our time here. This is Mark 10, 28 to 31 will be what we look at. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 23 to give us a, a rolling start here into our passage. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would be mighty in our midst this morning. That he would fill me and give me strength to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ here from the pages of your holy text. And we pray for all of us to have ears that are open and hearts that are soft to receive what Jesus, our King and our Savior, is teaching us this morning. May we hear these words not as merely the word of man. No, God, may we hear these words as what they truly are, the word of God. The word of our creator who means to not only bless us materially, but more importantly, means to bless us with eternal blessings. Blessings that are of a different order than this world and and that nothing can take away. We pray that you would... Cause us to see your glory shining in the face of Christ and cause us to see how good it is to be his disciples. And for any in this room who don't yet trust him and know him, we pray that you'd bring them 
in repentant faith to him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Do more than we can ask or imagine. Amen. Well, whether it is casino gaming or the multi-billion dollar a year enterprise of sports betting, gambling sucks a major amount of money from a large segment of our society. Why? Why do people gamble? Well, reasons certainly vary. Uh, Some just may enjoy some simple entertainment value. Others may be addicted to a rush they're chasing. Still others may be lured in by overconfidence in their skill at certain card games. Sadly, some find themselves ensnared in a web of deep losses that keep getting deeper as they promise themselves that they'll get it all back. But one problem with betting, this is going to sound really profound, is that it's a gamble. Betting is a gamble. Sure, some bets involve skill and judgment, but at the end of the day, the better is at the mercy of forces far beyond his or her own control. So to throw down all your money, all your earthly goods down at the roulette table on red, for instance, would be a mind-blowing act of folly. But there is one place that we can lay down all our earthly goods, all of our possessions, all of our, even our dearest relations, where we find something that we will never find on a casino floor or on Wall Street for that matter. A sure thing. A sure thing. Now it is costly to believe in Jesus Christ. And there are numerous possible ways of thinking wrongly about the losses that we may have to undergo. Some of us may try to avoid them at all costs. Just, I don't want to suffer at all. Others may tell ourselves, well, I would stand up and publicly confess Jesus Christ as my Lord no matter what the consequences. Yet, at the same time, there may be subtler ways that even today we are ducking away from gospel losses. Still, others of us might make those sacrifices boldly and without flinching and also may take a certain pride in the afflictions that we undergo for the sake of Christ. Well, today Jesus has a word of life-giving correction for all those different types of people, all those different situations. He is calling us to a richer and more joyful experience of trading in our worldly goods for His sake. Now, last week, you can tell that our text, verses 28 to 31, picks up right on the heels of last week's text. We saw Jesus interacting with the rich man who approached Him asking, How can I gain eternal life, Rabbi? And Jesus' answer was custom-tailored to this man and the sin problems of his heart, namely self-righteousness and a dependence on his wealth. So Jesus' loving answer for this man came in verse 21. This man was to get rid of all his possessions, trade them in for heavenly reward, and come follow Jesus as his greatest treasure. And we saw what became of that. Sadly, the man went away and chose his possessions over Jesus. And then afterward, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples where he diagnoses the problem. The problem is that the worldly goods that this man has, these kinds of goods powerfully obstruct the kind of childlike receiving that is the only way into the kingdom of God. And our text here continues the follow-up conversation that Jesus and his disciples have. 
Peter and the twelve have just heard how impossible it is for anyone, especially the rich, to come to the kingdom of God. And our text today begins in verse 28 with Peter noting, Hey Jesus, we didn't reject you like that guy did. We made the right choice, didn't we? We gave up everything to follow you. He's seeking affirmation and commendation from Jesus. He and the twelve have not uh, done what this guy did. They just saw, fallen short of entering the kingdom. Now he's saying, not us, Jesus. Aren't our sacrifices for you commendable? And this gives him, Jesus, an opportunity to give some crucial teaching, both to the twelve then and to us today, about the sacrifices that his followers make for his sake. So this morning's text teaches us two truths about the losses that we endure for the sake of Jesus and his good news. Two truths about gospel losses. So here's what they are. First, gospel losses are investments of faith. Gospel losses are investments of faith. This is the focus of verses 29 and 30 where Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So if if Peter was seeking commendation in verse 28, well, Jesus' answer does commend Peter and the rest of the twelve. They have indeed made sacrifices to follow him. In verse 29, uh, Jesus goes through a number of different kinds of things that they or others might have to give up to have him. And the twelve have given up some of these things, but we have to understand that this abandonment isn't always absolute in their case. If you look at the Gospels, for instance, after following Jesus, Peter and Andrew followed Jesus in chapter 1. Well, later on, they're all at, at Peter's house in Capernaum, <laughs> interacting with Peter's family. So it's not as though there's a clean break and they completely have no contact with family or house. Uh, they seem to go around in Peter's boat throughout the Gospel of Mark. Uh, he was a fisherman. He left behind his fishing gear. So it's not necessarily that there's a clean break from all these things, absolutely. But they've walked away from them. They have turned aside from them to be with Jesus. And in these two verses, Jesus commends these sacrifices. He wants to give the twelve and anyone who will come after them to follow Christ and make the same choice. He wants to give the assurance and encouragement that they have made a worthy investment. So in verse 29, he talks about what we could call borrowing the words of Luther's hymn, goods and kindred, right? The, The possessions and the relations we have. He talks about the goods and kindred given up. And then in verse 31, he affirms that these same elements will be repaid a hundredfold. Now, in terms of material goods, he lists houses and farms. But then the rest of the losses are relational. Brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, and children. Now, I might be a little bit concerned to hear Jesus commending leaving children. Uh, We should understand he's not calling disciples to be derelict in their natural duties toward their dependent kids. Uh, The Greek word that's translated children here is a broad term for all kinds of ages. You could be used for grown children. It's just like we use the words children and kids for little kids or for our grown children if we have them. Another important clue here is that you may recall back when we were in verses 1 to 12, Jesus was teaching on divorce and remarriage. He's very anti-divorce. 
And so you notice that wives are not listed here. He's not commending anyone leaving their wives behind, which seems to indicate he's not calling people to voluntarily leave behind their basic family obligations. So don't worry about little kids being abandoned by their parents. Now we might be wondering, what, in what ways, what is this for the sake of? What does this really mean, Jesus, when he says to leave these behind for my sake and the idea there for the sake of me or for the sake of the gospel? What does that mean? In what ways will we have to lose these things? Well, for the sake of refers to uh, the interest of someone or something. And the gospel, we've seen this term occur in Mark before. It's the good news of Jesus is coming to establish God's saving rule. Uh, He has come to save men and women through faith. He's come to roll back the powers of Satan and sin through his life and what's coming, his death and his resurrection. And I believe that there are three different ways that the interest of Jesus and his gospel will separate disciples from their goods and kindred. Three different ways that it will cost us. And we can liken these three different ways to expenses that we pay to keep a car in operation. Okay, So we'll use this illustration for the three ways that the gospel will cost us. The first, when we have a car, one thing you have to do is you have to pay registration fees. It's the cost of doing business. Um, It's the state's fee that they impose on owning your car. And this can be likened to persecution in a world that is opposed to God and His kingdom. A natural consequence of being a disciple of Jesus in a contrary world is there will be costs in the form of persecution. And you see right there in verse 30, Jesus promises His disciples persecution. And the last couple of Sundays, I've made mention of Hebrews 10.34, which talks about believers joyfully accepting the seizure of their possessions because they have a better and abiding one in heaven. But enemies of them, because they're Christian, are taking away their things because they confess Christ. And even here in Mark, remember where we are. Jesus is on a journey. He's starting on His way to the cross. And He's trying to communicate to His disciples that just like this whole narrative, this gospel story, their identity as disciples lies in the shadow of the cross. In fact, the very next passage, verses 32 to 34, will be his third prediction right here in the central section of Mark that he's going to the cross, that he's going to die, he's going to lay his life down. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for the reality of persecution. And even today in many parts of the world, believers have their money and their possessions confiscated from them for Jesus' sake. Some people are torn away from their families and thrown in prison. Uh, years ago, if you're here back in 2007, you may remember, I went on a summer missions trip to uh, Xinjiang, uh, the Muslim area in northeastern China. Uh, northwestern China, I'm sorry. And uh, my American host there had a relationship with a Christian leader there who was torn away from his family, his wife and two sons, and thrown in prison for 15 years. It was soon after I was there that he was uh, in prison for a 15-year sentence. That means I, it's about this year. I, I don't know yet whether he's been released, but it would be this year that he was set to be released. That's 15 years for a wife and two sons to effectively have lost their husband and father. And he lost them, in a sense. And that happens countless times uh, in countless places throughout the world. And we can thank God that we're nowhere near those kinds of conditions here. But I mentioned last week, there are subtler ways that uh, 
material losses to persecution might be creeping up on us as Christians, those who want to live faithful to Christ and His Word. There are certain possessions or jobs that are slowly squeezing out convictional Christians. And we just have to be ready for this. There may be material losses that we have to accept in order to follow Christ as disciples. Things may get far worse in this realm. So that's persecution, one way that the gospel will cost us. The second way that following Jesus costs goods and kindred, back to our car illustration, it's like when we spend money on maintenance. We have to service our car. We have to do repairs. We have to replace parts that aren't working right to keep the vehicle going. And this would be likened to the losses that we incur in order to avoid stumbling blocks. There are some things that we have to give up. We've we've talked about this last week as well. Some things we have to give up simply because of the spiritual danger that they pose to our hearts. This is the category that the rich man would have fit into. Jesus' demand to sell all his things was not an absolute moral law for everyone who would follow Christ. But it was a customized order for him to cut off the stumbling block that lay in the pathway from his own soul to heaven. It wasn't going to work for him to keep his things. And just as he, back in chapter 9, verses 42 to 50, he told his disciples to relentlessly cut away stumbling blocks that cause us to sin. Cut off the hand, gouge out the eye that causes you to sin. This cutting can impinge on our material goods and relationships in this life. The the sake of avoiding stumbling blocks may cost us. There will be situations when wealth and certain of our possessions and certain of our relationships